Well, good morning, Parkside family. My name is Eddie Ferguson, and I have the privilege to serve here as one of your pastors and to deliver God's word to you here this morning. Uh, this morning is a, a little unique. Uh, we will not be having any kids' church, so kids, you get to stay in here and listen to me. Um, we're doing things just slightly different uh, since it's B2B. Everybody's just kind of recovering a little bit. I understand. We're all just a little tired. Uh, I just want to say thank you for serving together so well. It's amazing. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with people over the past three days, and the thing that just keep rising to the top are, are really kind of two things, is the, the clarity of the message of Jesus coming and the beauty of God's people coming together to serve. And it's really neat to be a part of a family of God, like Parkside, that can come together and everybody do their part to serve. So I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that each of you have done in your own individual ways to serve this past week and the months leading up. Today we have a special uh, pizza party uh, right after the service, and then we're going to clean up and pack everything up. Uh, and also, just wanted to let you guys know, if you didn't get an ornament, our B2B ornament this year, we have those in the back for everybody here. I want to make sure that you get one of those too. It's a great way just to remember and commemorate. Before I dive into God's Word, I just have one quick uh, announcement, and that is that next Sunday evening, we'll be having our family meeting. We try and do this on a quarterly basis where we to get get together as members of the church, and just kind of talk through a few different things. And we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to meet over in the elementary gym in the evening. We're going to have an evening time. We're going to meet at 4 p.m. We're going to have a special time. We're going to be talking about BCS. We have some important things to walk through with you. There's some just kind of leadership structure at the school that we want to change, and we need to walk the church family through that. Uh, then we're going to have a fun time. Uh, we're going to do a family game. I know. We're going to adventure out here. We're going to try and have fun together as a church family. I know. It might sound a little crazy. Uh, and then at five, we're going to have just a meal together. And we want to celebrate all the things that God has done in the year 2019. So I really want to encourage you to come out next Sunday evening, 4 p.m., for that family meeting. It's just going to truly, our desire is just to be a, a time together as a church family. Before we dive into God's word, will you just bow with me for a word of prayer as we center our hearts on God's word? Father, I come before you this morning fully aware of my inabilities and my weaknesses and my sin. Lord, I ask that you would still use me as your broken vessel to deliver the truth of your word here this morning. Lord, as we all come to this place from uh, various trials and busyness of the season, our minds maybe still stirring with whatever thoughts have just plagued us this week, I, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just calm us, focus us on the truth of Scripture. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just illuminate the truth to our hearts here this morning. Change us. I ask, and I ask this in the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus. Amen. 
A lot has uh, changed for me personally in the past two years. Uh, it's amazing how a one-year-old and a baby on the way really kind of changes your perspective on life. Uh, in fact, I, it's kind of dawned on me just a few weeks ago, I was feverishly scanning some of the Black Friday ads. Hopefully, I don't think I'm alone in that. I thought I saw a few of you out and about. And I was kind of looking through the ads, not for like a great deal on a new TV or something like that. No, 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 no. I was looking for a great deal on a car seat, right? I was so excited. Yes, the Ferguson family, we were door busting for 50% off car seats. And it's just amazing how much my life and my perspective has changed. You know, I can remember back when Sarah handed me that positive pregnancy test. You know, I was excited at first, but I think, you know, as, as the father, you immediately start to, to process and think through things. I begin to think, okay, what repairs do I need to make to the house? You know, there's this board loose here. He could stab himself in the eye or something like that. I began to process, you know, what practical stuff do we need in order to keep this kid alive? You know, and I'm researching strollers, and I'm looking up car seats, and then I'm like, college, college is going to come fast. What's this 529 college thing? I got to figure this out. And it's interesting, you meet other dads and conversation changes, right? We're having discussions over the, the foldability of our strollers or the efficiency of household waste with a diaper genie. Things change. You know, I didn't have those types of conversations just two years ago. And when you're here in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, we meet another young father, Joseph. Joseph was much younger than me. He, he was just a teenager. And he has just been handed a, a positive pregnancy test from his soon-to-be wife. You can, as you can imagine, this news of a pregnancy just sparks all sorts of thoughts in Joseph's mind. Like, how did that happen? Uh, we haven't slept together. This, I don't know how that happened. He maybe begins to wonder, like, uh, what are people going to think about us? He knew his friends and family would, would assume he was the father. And then it really begins to sink into his heart. And he begins to wonder, oh, what's going to happen to Mary when the truth comes out? I mean, he knew in this culture that an adulterous woman was, was shunned and sometimes even worse. The account that we find here in Matthew of Jesus' birth is unique from the other gospel accounts at the beginning of the New Testament. You know, in the other gospel accounts, Luke kind of shares from Mary's perspective. It's this warm, huge event. John shares from a very theological and eternal perspective. Mark just jumps right in and gets to the life of Jesus. Here, we see Joseph's perspective. We see a very practical, a very historical, focused on the essentials, right? It's a very straightforward type of retelling. We are taken through Joseph's account with the meeting of several key people. Joseph meets an angel, Mary meets the Holy Spirit, and ultimately, Jesus meets his parents. It's, it's through these encounters that we learn something very important. 
we learn that God has a plan and a purpose in the way Jesus is born, right? The way Jesus is born will fulfill God's long-standing promise to redeem humankind back to himself. Let's look here just at the, the first encounter when Joseph meets the angel. Know that, that when this encounter happens, Joseph is in a, in a conflicted place. He is halfway through the marriage process with the, with the girl of his dreams, right? And he finds out she's pregnant. Back in this time, the custom was that you would be legally married first, then you would have about a year-long waiting period, and then you would hold the religious ceremony, after which then you were fully married and able to consummate the marriage. Now, Joseph loves Mary, but he assumes that the pregnancy is a result of an adulterous relationship with another man, since he knows it wasn't by him. So he's looking to do the right thing on both cases, the right thing in divorcing her because of her sin, but to do it in a way that causes her the least amount of repercussion. Right? He's weighing this very weighty decision, possibly tossing and turning in his sleep. And when he finally drifts into sleep, an angel comes to him to share with him that God has a plan for this baby Mary is carrying. Joseph discovers two rather remarkable things. First, that the baby was conceived from the Holy Spirit of God, not another man. Second, this baby will be the Messiah, the promised Savior they have been waiting for for centuries. God the Father had picked Joseph to be the adoptive father adoptive earthly father for the Messiah. It is in this encounter that we see God's plan just begin to sh take shape. The Messiah wasn't coming to be some great outstanding leader, a great teacher, or even a, a wealthy influencer. He would be God himself. Come to be with us. Come to save us. This, this plan changes everything. You see, it means now that the Messiah is a worthy sacrifice for the sins of the world because he's pure and holy. It means the Messiah will be able to pay the debt of sins as he withstands the wrath of God against sin because it's actually God taking it upon himself. You see, from the very beginning in Genesis, we, we learn that God created humans a little differently than everything else in the world. You see, we were created in God's image and thus instilled with great value and great purpose. And our purpose 
was to have a close friendship with God. Right? That's, that's our purpose, is to know God, to have a close relationship with him. But the first humans, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They, they chose their way of living instead of how our creator, how God had purposed. And ultimately, they rejected that close relationship with God. And this rebellious sin just plunged the whole human race into a sinful separation from God. And God immediately, immediately afterwards, Genesis 3, promised that the relationship one day would be made whole. But that since he is holy, a price must be paid for the transgression. Now what we learn here in Matthew is that he comes to us. And that in coming to us, God is drawing us to himself. You see, the relationship with him that mankind had broken away from, God fixes by coming in closer to us, by becoming like us, so that one day we may become like him. See, God doesn't ask us to step out of the darkness and into his light. Rather, he is the light that enters into the darkness of the world. He enters in to warm us by his grace. God's plan for the way Jesus was born is for God the Son to enter into the world and for God to pay for the price of mankind's transgressions against him. Now, the second encounter, when Mary meets the Holy Spirit, we see again that Matthew is presenting this rather matter-of-factly, right? The passage just tells us that the angel drops the news on Joseph. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can you still imagine, put yourself in Joseph's mind here, that just this news getting dropped on him? This is a lot. I mean, I was at least in my 30s when I found out I was going to be a father. So, and you know, a little life experience kind of helps you out there a little bit, but this poor guy's a teenager. So not only does he just find out that his pregnant fiance is carrying the Messiah, that God did it, you know, he's probably still fighting acne and hormonal mood swings. <laughs> Poor kid. So the angels helping him understand this and learn what is God's purpose here? What is God doing? He learns that it was God, the Holy Spirit, that placed the child within Mary. That the, the Messiah would have a heavenly father but a human mother. Now, there was nothing special about Mary. She was simply chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. We learn that the Messiah, the chosen one to come save sinners, Joseph would give him the name Jesus, right? Which means God saves, immediately implying what is the purpose here. 
We're also given another name of Jesus when Matthew quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God, God with us, is further emphasizing God's purpose for the way that Jesus is born. The purpose was for him to have a human nature, to be raised just like any other child, to have earthly experiences just like everyone else. And even though he was divine in nature because his father was God, the Messiah would also be human in nature because of his mother. God with us is God amongst us. In the Gospel of John, the coming of the Messiah is described as God taking on flesh to dwell amongst us. We just sang about this at the beginning in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The song describes it this way. It says, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Listen to this. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God has come to do the saving himself. He wasn't dispatching some angel to save the world or bestowing like superpowers on some human and then sending them out. No, God the Son took on human nature with all of its characteristics and essence that we would associate with being human. He became just like us, yet without sin. Yet without sin. You see, Jesus grew up like any other human. He, he experienced the same struggles and trials like any one of us. But he did so without rebelling against the way of God. And so we come to our third encounter, the birth, when Jesus meets his parents. Now again, with a very forthright description of the events, Matthew just simply tells us that Joseph woke from the sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph hears this message, stays with Mary, completes the marriage to her. They don't have sex for the remainder of her pregnancy, and when the child is born, Joseph names him Jesus. God saves. Jesus arrives to his biological earthly mother and his adoptive earthly father. God's plan for the way Jesus is born is for him to be both fully God and fully man at the same time. If you've been listening, you're, you're maybe kind of piecing this together in your mind as we walk through this text and you're wondering, okay, okay, I'm following you. Jesus' father is God. That's divine nature. His mother is a woman, the human nature. How does that work? 
How does that go together? Why? Why? Why is this so important? Why did God plan and purpose for this to be this way? I love digging back into church history and hearing how believers before us have kind of wrestled these things out. And there, there was a monk in the Middle Ages by the name of Anselm who's one of the first to really put together a good definition for us. And he says it this way. He says, but as it is right that man should make reparation for the sin of man, therefore it is necessary that the one who makes satisfaction should be of the same race as the sinner. Right, so follow with me. This reasoning gets at the center of why God the Son needs to come as a human being. Right? It was a human, Adam, who brought sin into the human race. And so it must be a human that the sins of the human race be atoned for by. Now, only a human could represent or, or be that substitute for the human race. But God needed to come as a human in order to eradicate sin and restore the relationship. That, that's why Jesus' human nature is essential. However, since it was Adam and Eve were the ones who brought sin into the human race, none of their descendants could be the ones to make amends for sin, right? Because they're all tainted. That's why Jesus' divine nature is essential. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time because no simple human could ever be spotless enough to be a perfect sacrifice. God needed to come as a human to represent the race. God's plan for the way Jesus is born is for him to be both fully God and fully man so that he can accomplish the purpose of redemption, of saving sinners. Right? Both the plan and the purpose that he can accomplish is to fulfill the promise he made going all the way back to Genesis 3 and all throughout the centuries of the Old Testament. What's happening here, what's happening in Matthew is the transition from the promise of the Old Testament into the fulfillment of that promise with the announcement and the arrival Jesus to Joseph and Mary. Finally, the Messiah has come. The child promised in Genesis 3 has arrived. This baby announcement is literally going to change the course of history. All right? So this announcement is far more important, far more bigger than any cute Facebook pregnancy announcement photo that we can put together. Right? It's far more important than some you know, epic and over-the-top gender reveal video. Right? It is way more important than even the revelation of Baby Yoda. All right? For those of you who just missed that, it's a Star Wars reference. I know Chris doesn't like it very much, but it's actually a cool story. He's missing out. Right? This is a huge moment. The Messiah, the child promised to come to repair that relationship has finally come. 
And the way in which God has done it is so masterful. The truth is God planned and purposed the way Jesus was born to fulfill the promise to redeem humans back to himself. The perfect way in which God has fulfilled his promise has incredible significance and implications on you and me today. I'll tell you, I I love this truth, the, the layers of truth in this doctrine. This is just one of my favorites to get in and to study. You know, it, it reminds me a lot like a, like a book or a movie, right, where there's just this huge plot reveal towards, towards the end or towards the end of it, right? And it just kind of blows your mind and you think, how did, the, how did the author, you know, foreshadow it like that? This is incredible, right? It's kind of like Star Wars. When you find out Darth Vader's Luke's dad, what? The enemy is the father of the hero? This is mind-blowing. But what happens here in the first chapter of Matthew is far more impressive than any book or movie. God has woven the plan and purpose for redemption into the very fabric of history, right? Into the very fabric of history because all of mankind's yearning for peace with God. God has painted it into the very essence of who we are as human beings, as we just long for relationships with others. If you've ever seen the famous painting by Michelangelo, the the creation of Adam, right? It's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He represents this idea by having God the Father reaching down to touch Adam, all the while his other hand is pointed toward Adam. Jesus as a baby. God knew his creation would need a way back to him. And so he laid out a plan. He laid out a purpose so beautiful, so rich with detail, that if if we tried to combine every story and painting of mankind, it wouldn't even come close to captivating the features of the very first Christmas. God comes as man to save sinners like you and me. This truth has very serious implications on our lives. First of all, and most importantly, there's a way back to God. There's a way back to the wholeness of that relationship with him. We're not lost. If you search your soul here this morning, you know that there's a longing for peace. You know that there is a yearning to be made whole. Something just is missing. The brokenness of this world constantly reminds us that something isn't right. Something needs to be fixed. And I'll tell you, it's not going to be fixed by a politician or some billionaire philanthropist. It's God. Come to us in Jesus to save sinners. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. Believe Jesus is who he says he is and trust in him. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to have a time of, of communion 
where we remember the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And he made that payment. He paid off that debt for our sins. We're going to have people standing at each of these tables. I would encourage you, if, if you want to know more, go talk to one of them. They can answer your questions. Just go to them and say, hey, can we talk? I, I want to know the way back to wholeness. I want to know that relationship with God, my creator. The second implication is that we have a Savior who understands. We have a, a Messiah who empathizes with us. Right? God is not distant. He actually came to be with us, right alongside of us, to live and grow up just as we have. I love how the author of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Right? We are able to draw near to God with confidence and ask the creator of the universe for whatever we want, to ask for help through whatever we're going through, because Jesus provided the way. Because God stepped down from that throne and became just like us and took us by the hand and brought us before the throne. In a moment, when we go to communion, right, there's going to be bread and juice at each of these tables. This is something for those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior and who, who need a reminder Right? This is a weekly wake-up call of what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you have trusted in Jesus, but, but you are burdened down with sin or the weight of something heavy that's just crushing down on your shoulders this morning. I would encourage you to maybe take this time and just remain seated. Don't come and take communion. Just sit and talk with God. This is a moment in the week where we can just silently sit and draw near to the throne of grace with confidence because we know the one who stepped down from that throne to bring us there. And I'll tell you from the truth of scripture, you will receive mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. So our, our first implication is that there's a way back. Our second is that we have a Messiah who empathizes with us. We can turn to him. The third implication is our mission. Okay, church, look at this. It's, it's really quite simple. Jesus went into the world, so must we. If we have any understanding whatsoever of what Jesus has done for us, then we are compelled to do in kind, to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him yet. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, 
But if the God of the universe can step down from heaven to dwell amongst us, to save us from our sins, then we can at least step across the street to tell a neighbor about it. The fact that God came fully himself and fully man incarnate means we must do the same. We must go out and tell others that God is with us. Jesus came. In that first Christmas, what we celebrate, all the lights, all the events, would mean nothing if it wasn't for the fact that God came down to dwell amongst us. It's so important to see this, that God planned and and purposed the way Jesus was born that first Christmas to fulfill his long promise to redeem humans back to himself. As we turn to this time of communion, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit just presses in on your heart and soul this morning, presses in on the reality and the implications of the truth. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that redemption is here. We no longer wait, but Jesus came in that first Christmas. Lord, I pray that everyone here this morning would see that and know that there is a way back to you, a way to be made whole again, to have that relationship. And Lord, I pray that those who are burdened down and heavy this morning, that they would know that that their Messiah understands. He too walked this earth and that they would draw near to the throne of grace with confidence in that. And Lord, I pray that you would stir each and every one of us to get out, to tell, to do as you did, to go and to dwell amongst those who do not yet know. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word and that it speaks directly to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.